Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our theme is a candid conversation on leading well in crisis. A candid conversation on leading well in crisis. Uh, this is based on an interview uh, Jerry and I gave uh, this past a uh, few months ago, actually, in a at an alpha conference for leaders around the world, in which we were interviewed by Drew Hyun, a young pastor here in New York City, good friend of ours, uh, and about a you know about twenty to twenty five minute interview. Uh, but it was such a good interview, so unique uh, that we really felt it was worthy of being put here on the podcast because it's not simply Jerry and I responding to questions. But it's a wide interview on a variety of topics of thinking about how do we navigate uh, the present reality in which we're living in. And uh, so the unique contribution, I think, of this conversation is it's simply conversational. And we're responding off the cuff very candidly uh, and, bringing, and bringing some things to light that are very worthy of thinking about. And again, the issues range on everything from revival to anxiety to our need for well-differentiated, non-anxious leadership. Uh, talk about things like before we even get to mission and vision, we need to think about grief and lament and how the high, our highest calling is to be uh, contemplative activists and how our tendency of leaders is to kind of power through pain rather than actually enter into it and let it enter into us uh, and thus let, let it change us. And then uh, we talk about marriage and how we're called to oneness if we're married and, and depth in that marriage and that if you're married, the key to loving the world is loving each other in a marriage. And the most loving thing you can do in the world is, of course, walk with Jesus. But the second most loving thing is lead out of your marriage or your singleness. But actually, the the, the interview closes with a comment from Jerry about saving civilization that is perhaps worth the whole podcast. And I pray you make it to the end and enjoy it. All right, everybody. God bless you. Enjoy this candid conversation on leading well in crisis. Enjoy. It's such an honor to be with you all. And uh, just a little backdrop of my relationship with the Scazzaros. I was actually fresh out of college at the age of 21, and I joined their team as an intern, and I stayed on staff at New Life Fellowship in Queens for 10 years. And during those 10 years, uh, learned an incredible amount of wisdom, and was invited into their home and family and really got to see, um, you know, the back door scene of, of just kind of what it was like to live with the Scazzaros and what it was like to be with them, especially in living the emotionally healthy journey. And so for me, um, now, uh, kind of on the other side, we've started a church and that started a family of churches here in the city. I've been able to, every time I talk to Pete and Jerry, I try to tell them one of two things. One is I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that I gave you a hard time because I didn't realize senior leadership was so hard and so difficult. And, uh, and the other is thank you um, because they have been to me spiritual father and mother who have truly lived out what it means to have a, a passionate marriage and a very vibrant walk with Jesus. And um, it has been the real deal. And I think on the other side of moving from the number two chair to moving to the number one chair, I've just been so deeply humbled in this journey. And Pete and Jerry are people that I continue to come back to. And so I'm just going to start with these questions as it relates to this moment, Pete and Jerry. would just love to have this conversation with you. Uh, I know when the pandemic first hit, um, 
I was drawn to the voices speaking about mission and revival um, as it tapped into the visionary longings, you know? Uh, yes, and I, I know a phrase that was often used in the U.S. was, this is our moment, church, just like in the early kind of plagues, yeah. um, to really be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, meanwhile, what was interesting was you guys both seemed to be one of the lone voices to me talking strongly about slowing down and doing less in this season. Uh, I'd love to hear why, why that was the initial impulse for you guys and why that was the encouragement that you were given to me as well as a number of leaders here in New York. Do you want to go first? Oh, uh, yeah, you can go first. Yeah, no, I think, you know, the uh, <laughs> there was a definite frenzy uh, when the pandemic hit and everything got shut down because as one pastor said so well, I feel like the church is slipping through my fingers because there wasn't the large gathering, couldn't hold it together. And there was a sense of panic. There still is a sense of panic for many. And so uh, what we observed was that people were working much harder and with much greater anxiety. And it was very clear to us within a week or two, this was not sustainable. And without leadership coming from an anchored place, uh, there was no revival or move of God that's going to happen because it's flowing out of panic. So yeah, our message was actually to enter a season of grief and figure out how to get some rhythms and using Benedict's rule to begin to structure your days. Now you got to put a structure in it. We're not a monastic community, but in some ways we're forced into some monasticism by being alone, but how to, how to craft uh, a structure of prayer, rest, relationships, and work. Uh, each day and each week for yourself so that you're flowing out of a deep place in Jesus. And, uh, and so we uh, began to unpack that and found that it was very difficult uh, to, to build a structure for most pastors and leaders when the structure had in a sense been pulled out from under them. Yeah. At, there was a lot of anxiety in the system, the system of our culture and, and of the world and whenever there's anxiety in the system, uh, you really have to take pause because of course the, the anxiety in the system is coming from the anxiety in each one of us. And I think the pandemic created a lot of right, just justifiable anxiety because there's so many unknowns on every single level. Yeah. And so the first thing you want to do is slow down to say, okay, how, again, how can I practice, um, you know, presence, presence with myself so I can be present with other people and when everything has changed. Some of us uh, were, were living with less people. Some of us were living with more people. Now we're working from home and now there's lots of interruptions and, and now shopping was such an effort. I mean, every, so many things changed and you really, you have to slow down to kind of, you know, uh, get your boat in order and take care of those in your boat First, your you know yourself, your family, um, etc., and then you'll uh, have whatever you need to then to take care of others. But I think it always otherwise, if you're not aware of the anxiety, you will give it away. Yes, you will just give it away, and that's just not helpful for anything or anybody. Yeah, so I think for us, I can go on. <laughs> we saw an inter intersection of two big currents happening at once. One was uh, the each person's, the loss of control with the pandemic, because we lost control of so many things at once. And so on one level, there was a, your family of origin issues triggering. 
and the need for well-differentiated, non-anxious leadership. On the second hand, there was a need for silence and solitude and surrender on a whole new level to Jesus. Uh, what do you want me to do? Uh, and not be grasping, clutching, trying to make something happen that may not be God's will at all, but it's really flowing out of your own anxiety. And so the need for that anchoring and regular, consistent breaking of our own self-will to do whatever God wants as this pandemic unfolds uh, was essential. And it remains essential uh, because if we're not open to do whatever God wants, then our prayer life is already a bit, it's already screwed up. It's slanted. That's a big problem. Pete, would you say for me, because, and you know that, that there's like this drive in me. And I know that you've now worked with a lot of young leaders who get galvanized by mission and vision. Um, do you, what would you say to, and I think a lot of the leaders on, are on this call are these, are driven kind of wanting to see revival mission happen. Is there a particular kind of um, word that you would have for us in this moment? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, two, two things. One is I think we always, I'm filled with vision too. Vision's a wonderful thing. But there has to, with that vision, there's got to become a, a healthy, detached activism, a sense of, um, um, I always hold it before God open yeah, I'm going to plant 10 churches in the city in the next three years. But <clears throat> there has to be this sense of, yet whatever God wants and however he wants to unfold in what timetable is all good with me. And so there's not, it's, so it's not coming from this striving, driving place, which is, it's just, that's not the Holy Spirit. And that's when our, our own stuff is now getting in the way. And I, I see that when, I, when it came up in me and comes up in me, it's an oil light in the car saying, slow it down, Pete. Uh, because you're, you're off, you're off right now. So um, I think it's just got to be tempered with a deep surrender of control to God and whatever his will might be. So yeah, I think this relates to your chapter on journeying through the wall. And I know that that's a theme that you talk about, yeah. which is kind of counterintuitive to much of the theology, perhaps that um, we've been formed by. Can you maybe talk about that dark nights of the soul like yeah. what we might be experiencing and um, how yes. even in your own journey, how those journey, how those kind of journeying through different walls have been deeply formative for you and perhaps how we can be looking for that in our own lives right now. I'll start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just say, even, even as the pandemic <laughs> began to unfold, uh, if folks who just have vision and this is a time for revival, again, how we define revival, uh, that's, a, that's another very important question. But there needed to be a time, there needs to be grieving. People were dying, people losing jobs by the millions, enormous disruption uh, of families and for children. There was so much loss happening and it had happened with the pandemic that there needed to be space for, for lament. And if we as leaders didn't go first in lamenting, we couldn't lead our people there. And so what happens, we end up living this kind of a superficial Americanized Christianity that is missing what what is god doing here but the but so that on one level is really important so there was in a sense we went into a collective dark night globally uh that needed to be paid attention to and and, and discerning god's presence in the midst of that uh and so there's a there was a dark there is a dark night aspect of what we're experiencing 
collectively, which needs to be engaged. And so that's why you, you need a reflective life, a uh, contemplative life as an active leader. Thomas Aquinas called it the most difficult charism to walk out, to be a, a contemplative grounded in Jesus and actively serving him. That is the highest calling of all. Uh, he called lesser callings when you're just active, you're not really rooted in Jesus like Mary because you're so busy, or you're just a contemplative and you're not doing any activity. Those are lesser callings. The high calling of God is what we're all doing here on this, on this phone call, which is leading churches you know, for the sake of Jesus and out of a, pla- a deep place in Jesus. So dark nights that are sold are, there is no other way to grow in Jesus. There's no other way to grow as a leader. And so if you want to just skip that, and you know, go right on to just resurrection and movements and everything's happening, uh, you're going to end up being shallow for the long term because you will not grow up. And uh, John of the Cross probably did the best work on this, that there is no other way to mature in Christ except you go through dark nights uh, and that you pay attention to them. So you let God do the deep work in you that he needs to do of pulling flash out of you and self-will out of you and pride out of you, and envy, and all that stuff that just, and impatience, that, that, that contaminates uh, the work of God in the world. I think walls, you know, as you know, Drew, are, are characterized by deep pain. When you're in deep disorientation, and deep pain, like, like on your face, like yeah. God, and, and you're thinking all, all sorts of things about God, and actually one of the things that the wall does is um, de- it takes apart our assumptions of who God is, you know, and um, he gets God out of the box that we put him in, but they're very painful. And every leader on this call, I, I don't know a leader, I mean, you can't lead and not go through walls because we're subjected to them. You know, we're actually, our, our lives are much more open to them than say, you know, the general population and walls come to us by our own doing, in a sense, because God uses everything mm-hmm. as compost. But also, many walls come not of our doing. And they might be health issues. They might be relational breakdown. Um, they, you know, I mean, goes on and on and on. But um, church splits, you know. But the thing about the wall is that you need to take, when you're in that kind of pain, what I see leaders doing is powering through. Yeah. powering through pain. I, I know leaders have been in pain for 20 years. Yeah. Now that's okay. If it's like, if it's a God thing and they're, it's clean pain and they're aware that God, and they can see themselves changing through the pain, but they're in pain for three, five, 10, 15 years. And they're not changing. Yes. They're just like, well, I guess this is God's will. But the purpose of these walls is that we might actually be broken out of so many, you know, again, false images we have of God um, and ourselves. Um, and again, the fruit of it is is brokenness, softer, greater vulnerability, um, and certainly ultimate is becoming just more loving people. Can you guys share about some of those walls and the lessons that you learned about from your own life and journey as well? Yeah, I mean, our, our, our one of our, our biggest, for, we had, We've had five or six really big ones, but our marriage was a big wall. After eight years of being married, we were really stuck uh, and unhappy, and we loved each other but didn't know how to love each other, and the pressure of ministry was really, the ministry was in our marriage, uh, and so that was a huge wall, and it broke us, but God met us in it, and, and uh, you know, so one of Drew's questions here, I had to do with actually leading out of your marriage, but 
so much revelation. In fact, our whole, we feel like our whole ministry has come out of the brokenness of our failures and walls, uh, having met God in them in ex really extraordinary ways, because that's the place of revelation, actually. If you're willing to trust God and go deep into the darkness, into the pit, you'll find out that Jesus is waiting for you there. And that's, that's what we found out in our first one, um, our first big wall, which was marriage uh, and the church, a church split that we encountered. And uh, where, you know, I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a Christian anymore. It was so painful. Uh, yeah, and I, m mine was really around, I was just so miserable after seven years of planning our church and being so exhausted, winning the world, losing our souls. Um, <clears throat> I was exhausted and miserable, but I felt shame for being miserable because I thought, you know, good Christians shouldn't be miserable. And um, I just said, I mean, it was, it was really kind of subconscious because I was afraid to even admit it that my Christianity isn't really working. Like I'm not, I can't love these people. I am trying so hard to love these people, but they're just so hard to love. But it really wasn't the people. And so, you know, I was blaming church. I was blaming Pete. I was blaming New York City. And Pete was kind of wanted to fix me. So, but anyway, to make a long story short, what we found through that wall that really broke us, because we just I was like, we, we don't even know what to do. We, we give up. And I was in such, I was in such pain that I had no place else to but really go up. So um, that led us to get help. And that's one of the things about walls. You really need mature companions. Mm -hmm. You need, you, it really, you really want a mature companion when you're in that, that pain that you're going to be in as a leader. And uh, they helped us navigate and we had such another conversion experience of the love of God, um, who he is and who he isn't. And yeah, it became emotionally healthy discipleship. But we realized, I realized the problems weren't out there. The problem was the church. The problem was the people. The problem was the ministry. The problem was inside of me. And I needed to deal with me. Yeah, that sounds like a revelation. I know one of the things that so struck me about you guys is um, how, how your vision for marriage, uh, leading out of your marriage and, and singleness, how deeply important that is for you. Um, how, what concerns do you have about how this pandemic might be affecting marriages right now? And what, what do you think we can do to address this? <laughs> In three minutes, Jerry. Drew, how's it affecting your marriage? <laughs> it's definitely, let's, uh, no comment. Let's get Pete on the phone. Let's, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. Lots affecting lots of marriages. But, um, you know, we, uh, we, we, we see vision and we have a vision for our marriage. You know, marriage mm -hmm. is called, you're, in marriage, you're called to oneness. And that's a huge vow. That means I got to pour a lot of energy into one person, you know, that I'm going to go deep with the rest of my life versus if I'm single, I can go wide with a lot of people. But if you have vowed uh, to love one person till death, then you have to, uh, you know, th that takes a lot of time and energy. And oneness is not sameness. Um, you know, oneness is about deep, deep unity and uh, Pete being my first neighbor. And that if I do nothing else on this earth, I will love at least one person well. Yeah. And so, um, we're, we're committed to 
we have a vision for our marriage. We understand marriage is oneness and nakedness. They will be, you know, they'll become one and they were naked and they had no shame. So uh, nakedness and unity in our marriage, nakedness emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, enables us to really um, nurture our unity um, and our oneness in a very healthy way. And as we do, as what we what we discovered uh, post, you know, after those first seven years of marriage, was that actually the key to loving the world was for us to love each other. As we loved each other, and as we loved each other well, the love of God is poured out into our hearts. We receive the love of God through our love for one another, and that overflows to the world. And I'll close with this thought here. I mean, we're you're all. Your young leaders are a little bit older than you. Our concern is longevity and sustainability in bringing green Jesus to the world. 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you're flourishing for Jesus. Well, that's why we want to invite you to slow down. And the most loving thing you can do for the world and your church is, one, walk with Jesus. And don't skim on that. Uh, and so that you're, that, you're, that you're leading and preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel out of a cup that overflows. And that, that takes time with Jesus. And then secondly, you're leading out of a marriage or a singleness that's also a cup that overflows. Again, it's the most loving thing you can do for the people around you is have integrity in your walk with Jesus and if you're married in your marriage, because it's a sign and it's meant to be a sign and a wonder that points to the love of Jesus. And uh, yeah, and every time we make love, we're, sa- we're saving civilization. Uh, Wow. On that note. um, That's a good ending. Well, um, I would love if you guys could just pray over us to close this time. Um, Thank you for just sharing a a bit out of your own lives and journey. So could one of you pray for us to close our time? Sure. Sure. So may the Lord bless you keep you and make his face shine on you, whatever country in the world you may be in at this moment, time zone, and whatever ministry God has placed in your hands. And may the Lord's love and grace and power be poured into your soul. May he enlarge your soul to receive his love. And uh, may the Holy Spirit overflow out of you to be a gift to the world. And may it really be an easy yoke for you as you go forward and not a heavy, hard one. Uh, and may people sense the presence of Jesus in you, uh, and if you're married, in your marriage and family, in your relationships, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.